Engaging Leader Podcast, Episode 62, Flexible Thinking, New Research on How Great Leaders Inspire Better Decisions. Leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, leaders. Today, I'm excited to have joining with me my dad, Marty Leahy. Hey, dad. Uh, hey, Jess. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. As I like to, on occasion, invite my dad to join us on Engaging Leader. Dad has an extensive background in Fortune 500 leadership, and for the last decade or so, he's been running a restaurant and catering business. And I am back in my hometown this weekend to celebrate my grandmother's 80th birthday. And I have been hanging out with my parents. Uh, Dad and I been having some good times together this weekend. We went to a high school football game last night. Today we went out for a 13 or 14 mile run in preparation for our first ever full marathon. Are you recovering okay, Dad? You're getting kind of old. That's probably kind of a dangerous activity for you to be doing. I really thought that you had a hard time keeping up with me today. (laughs) um, Honestly, I feel fantastic. I I don't have any post-race pain or aches or anything. And so it was fun. It was a beautiful day. Beautiful day. And we are sipping on tea from uh, Honest Tea, which, of course, was the topic of our discussion in Engaging Leader episode 57 in uh, our interview with Barry Nailbuff regarding the the startup of Honest Tea. Dad, have you ever had Honest Tea before? I have never had. Honestly, I've never had this tea before. (laughs) You sure? You're You're not lying? Honest? Honestly. So what you're drinking, the peach... Oolalong, what do you think Peach of it? Oolalong, um, it says just a tad sweet. To me, that's an overstatement. I don't really, it's not very sweet at all. Not very sweet it's, at it's, all? It's the slightest uh, hint of sweetness to it. And I'm drinking community green tea with Maltese orange, and I would say it's, it does not say it's a tad sweet, and it's not. It's just 34 calories per bottle. And basically, they just put in, I think, a teaspoonful of sugar in this, and it's... Um, just enough to overcome the natural bitterness that tea has. So, so is, this a, is this a healthy tea? Is that the whole idea? Right, because as the day that we're recording this, the interview with Barry has not even been released yet. So this is tea, real tea that is actually brewed on site when they, when they bottle it. And then instead of making it really sweet, they just add just enough sweetness to achieve the right effect. So the difference is... Like when you were to make homemade iced tea, Dad, you would probably put in one teaspoon. If you were going to sweeten it yourself, you put in maybe one, maybe two, and and the even like someone who was from the south and like sweet tea, they they would only put in four or five, six something like that teaspoons of sugar. But if you pick up your average iced tea that's out there in the market, it's actually twelve something like twelve teaspoons of sugar. It's just it's ridiculous. Well, what, what about what about a guy like me though? I would, I would put you know some NutraSweet or saccharin or something like that in it. So this right. allows you to avoid taking those artificial sweeteners. Artificial sweeteners. Okay. Yeah. So it's anyway, it's an interesting, yeah. it's interesting approach. It's a very now, fascinating would it really company. Would be counterproductive to put vodka in this type of tea? Do you think? It depends on your out, the outcome you're after, Dad. It's all about what your purpose and goals are. We'll, we'll talk about that in a future podcast. <laughs> 
Well, today we're talking about flexible thinking, which you and I have discussed this uh, in the past on the show, but there's new research that is just out from the University of Michigan's Ross School of Business that I found very exciting about this, and I actually wrote a blog post published on August 23rd, and the basic gist of the research that is out, that is new from the University of Michigan, is that when they've, they've discovered that when people, when leaders can encourage emotional ambivalence, that it actually leads to better decisions. You know, actually, even the most, uh, I, I would think even the most self-confident leader, well, at least I'll speak from experience, even when you're putting on the air of complete and utter self-confidence, you have to be honest, inside you, you always have ambivalent feelings, don't you? You do, and especially when you are honest about the complexity of the world today. So we're, we're going to be digging into the what and why of that. What What is flexible thinking? What's emotional ambivalence? And why is that so important in 21st century leadership? And then we're going to share five ways to inspire flexible thinking on your team in order to lead to better decisions. So Jess, how would you define emotional ambivalence? Emotional ambivalence is having two conflicting feelings about a single topic. So for example, my oldest son, JJ, just left for college this fall. And of course, we're sad, very sad to see him go. As you know, Aaron, my wife, has been, really did a lot of crying about it. And I was pretty sad too. But at the same time, we're excited for several reasons, one of which, at least now I know where all my clothes are. (laughs) Well, you know, actually, Jess, I'm having a hard time remembering when you left for college that I really felt that sad. (laughs) I don't think you did. (laughs) You were pretty glad to see me go. So, you know, of course, so, so, so JJ is notorious for borrowing my clothes without asking and so forth. But actually, I'm, I'm excited to see what he's going to accomplish. I know he's going to have a great time at school. And we've already been in, had a lot of communication back and forth. He's, he and I are continuing to collaborate on some things. So we're excited for his future and excited to see what he's going to make of himself. But we're sad to see him go. So the same topic is giving us conflicting feelings. That is emotional ambivalence. Okay, so why is that important when it comes to making better decisions? Well, according to this research from the University of Michigan, when people are emotionally ambivalent, so in other words, again, they're simultaneously feeling positive and negative, they make more accurate forecasts about things. So what the the lead researcher said is the underlying magic is that their conflicting emotional state makes them more open to considering conflicting information, which is critical to making good decisions. Of course, Dad, what's the opposite of flexible thinking? Well, rigid, you know, black and white thinking. Yeah, that's right. Thinking everything is black and white. And we know that hardly anything is black and white in the 21st century. There's all, there's just so much complexity out there. Recognizing that the world is complex, complex and that everything that we face is going to have some positive and negative ramifications. And so if you as a person can be more aware of that, you're, you're less likely to make a snap judgment, to rush into a decision. You're going to weigh the pros and cons. And if you can get your team thinking that way and discussing that way, then as a group, the group is going to make a better decision. 
Yeah, really, it it allows you to get into a problem-solving mode because if you have ambivalence, that means there are data points that seem to, you know, conflict, okay? So you 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 get your group thinking about, okay, well, it seems as though we want to grow our business in that way, but, wow, do we have the capacity to do that? Uh, well, we might if we did this or we did that, or... Can we make money doing that, or what's the risk of of expanding right now when we think when we're barely handling what we have, and you get everybody thinking through that whole thing, and and it's kind of like wow, it's so exciting to get new business, but oh my gosh, that's scary. What if we, what if this puts us over the edge, and we, we you know we have huge chaos in our production operation? Right, you're, you're you're speaking as if that's theoretical, but in your own business right now, your team is facing that type of issue where you've got a new customer that has asked that you would take them on in your in your uh, school lunch program catering business and yet it's right at the beginning of the school year and your team has just moved into new facilities and is still kind of ironing out some of the, those growing pains of that move and so you've got a lot of your operations leaders are saying, I just don't know that we can take on another customer of that size. So it's not a black and white decision. It's You need the, the revenue and profit, but it's putting a lot of pressure on your actual operations. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, my, my one first reaction would be like, well, we, you know, this is new business. We're, we need new business. You guys suck it up, learn, learn how to do it. And, you know, the the first uh, read I got from my organization was, no, we're not ready for this business. But I think one of the aspects of flexibility that I found is is, is really important is it has to do with, with the, the timeline, you know. Like, mm-hmm. what they're saying is, right now, we're not, we can't take this business, okay. That doesn't, they're not saying they, they can't grow and they can't accept new business, but they're saying there's a time issue. So we're we're agreeing really in 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 the basic concept of of uh, growing the business. We're in agreement. The question is, what does it take for that to happen? And can we fit in the opportunity to add this client into our timeline for adjusting and growing our process to to be able to handle it? So personally, as I sit here, and I don't know what's going to happen, but I think we're going to take this client. I'm not sure we're going to take them on the day they want to be taken, but. I think we're going to figure out how to fit the timeline to the challenge. Hmm, that's a good point. That there's a time and place for things, and timing is, is one of those things that factors into the complexity. Flexible thinking is just the term that I've given to a leadership secret that was actually uncovered by David Burnham and other researchers at the firm Burnham Rosen. They did uh, studies involving hundreds of thousands of people beginning in the, in the late 1900s, their term for this principle is called paradox and complexity. Uh, I just find it easy to remember as flexible thinking. But what flexible thinking recognizes is that in this day and age, number one, situations tend to be complex rather than black and white. Number two, information is widely available. So in the old days, you know, back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, the leader sort of had a monopoly on information. I mean, you, you, when you were a, a whippersnapper back in, in your days at Fortune 500 companies, there was probably a time where you didn't have all the information you needed at your fingertips, and it was sort of dispersed by the powers that be. Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, things have, have changed dramatically. I mean, I, the day that I walked into the corporate life, we didn't have email, we didn't have uh, internet, 
And, you know, honestly, you really relied on what today we would consider to be almost uh, uh, obtuse sources of information. I mean, it took a long time to find things out, and you took a lot of people's word for many things. Today, we, we basically have the reverse problem. There's too much information out there. It's just overwhelming. But at any rate, information is widely available. So the, the leader shouldn't be thinking in terms of black and white because they don't even have all the information. That, that There's a lot of information that their people have that the leader actually needs. And then third is that both situations and information frequently changes. Back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, trends took a long, much longer time to come about, and economic conditions didn't change quite so fast unless maybe there was a war that, that started. But basically, a competitor, for example, didn't just come out of the blue. They were much more slower in coming along, and obviously we all know that that's no longer the case. Situa- business situations change on a dime. Uh, you in your own business, Dad, you had out of the blue a big change that happened right at the close of the school year. Actually, one of your biggest customers, although everything had been going well, fairly well, they for internal reasons, they had to take things out to bid uh, every so often. And boom, you just lost a customer. that They took it out to bid and somebody else happened to have a better deal and it's it's amazing i we lost that account to a competitor that i never even ever thought that i would lose any business to i mean but things can change dramatically overnight no question so what are the implications for leaders when you talk about flexible thinking one is we can't just make a decision and inspire people to follow that decision i mean this show is called the engaging leader and it's about leaders engaging people in the business, in the purpose of the, of the team, and even in a decision. And so we, it's leaders, we need to be, have a more facilitative leadership style. And we need to engage our team to make and own a collective decision. And so to get people to combine their, the, all the knowledge and wisdom and forecasting abilities that everybody brings to the table. So... We want to, we really need to be able to communicate and facilitate that in a way that gets people themselves thinking flexibly, not just us as a leader thinking flexibly, but our team so that as a group we make better decisions. Well, clearly they, if they've helped to break something down and, and they're part of the whole process to take the pros and the cons or the ambivalencies and shake all those out, do the problem solving, do the analysis and and you come up with a, a program to move forward, obviously they've got some ownership in it. If they've contributed to that, they, they have a stake in it. Right. I like one of the things that David Burnham said is when you have a team that's f- thinking flexibly and, and the leader is thinking flexibly, even when the team makes, let's say, the wrong decision or they, they make a decision and then circumstances change, because they all own that decision, there's actually a high level of engagement just in the fact that we have the ability to change. Okay, things changed on us. Well, guess what? We can now make our own decision and, and pursue a different course anyway. So we, it's, a, it's an empowering sort of excitement that, hey, maybe we don't always uh, hit a home run in terms of the decisions we make, but we, have, we are a proactive, intentional team, and so we can change ourselves, and that ability is very empowering. It's sometimes a real eye-opener when, when, when you're sitting in a team and all of a sudden, people realize, you know, we can change this. Mm-hmm. We're not locked into anything. We've, 
you know, well, we've always done it this way, or this is the kind of company we are, and this is what we do. Well, no, we could change that. Really? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty exciting. And you have, you're kind of faced with a situation right now in your business where you got, you've moved into this new facility and you're gradually starting to discover certain processes that your team is doing a certain way because that's the way you did it in the old facility. And just getting them to see that, you know what, that's actually, that we're not doing it that way because it was the best way to do it. We've been doing it that way because we had certain constraints in that old facility. So, well, my school catering business had its origins in in the restaurant business and the restaurant business, I'm firmly convinced, is primarily in the entertainment mm-hmm. business. That's what we do, okay? And so we've always approached everything we do, uh, the various types of catering, as another form of entertainment. But I, but I have, you know, come to realize that what we do in our school catering business now, especially in a separate facility, is not about entertainment. I don't know if I have one word to cover it right now. I'll come up with a word, but... It's not entertainment. It has to do with compliance, with, it's more of a production process of, uh, you know, low variability in everything, just delivering everything spot on, on time, the exact amount, meets the state requirements, all these things. If at the very end of the line someone is actually entertained, that would just be a plus, but you don't get paid for that. You get paid for all the other steps that go in there. and That's a whole different business. So consistency and reliability and quality and timeliness, those kinds of types of things are more important. Yeah, so that, that's we, now we sit around on our team and we, we say, well, why do we do this that way? Well, we've always done it that way because that's the way that uh, you know customers seem to like their food to be served. So, yeah, but these aren't the kind of customers we have in the restaurant business. This is a whole different thing. You know what? What is it that that our customers are happiest with? What is it that they're, quote, rewarding us for? And we find out it's something completely different than what we had experienced in the restaurant business. Well, let's, with the rest of our time together, Dad, let's talk about how a leader can inspire flexible thinking on their team. And we have five research-based suggestions for that. And the first one is to recognize your own ambivalent feelings, which and and th- this is truly from research that the starting point really is for the leader yourself to be aware of conflicting feelings within yourself. So your your emotional ambivalence, which is an awkward, maybe odd thing for a lot of us to do. We tend to be, as leaders, trained more to emphasize logic and to downplay emotion. And also, guys, you know, I think, sometimes tend to, you know, uh, be single track mind and say, well, you know, I know what I know and this is what I do and that's how I feel. And and sometimes it's a little bit harder for us to say, you know, I got this other whole side here that I don't feel that way. It's different. And so all we're saying here is that inside of you recognize that you've got ambivalence and that, that right off the bat is a eye opener. And the second one is giving voice to that ambivalence. Don't, Mm -hmm. don't be afraid to admit that, you know, Honestly, you guys, I, I, I can look at this both ways. I can see, you know, where we got an issue this way, an issue that way, and I don't think, know if I have the answer. So you recognize it within yourself as number one, but number two is to give voice to that because you're, the first step is good for you as the leader, but the second step is what your team needs to hear because, number one, you expressing that emotional ambivalence 
is a culture changing thing. You're allowing them to realize that it's not black and white. And then you're leading by example. You're giving them the freedom to be emotionally ambivalent themselves, which again is going to lead to better forecasting and better decisions. So what does that look like? It, it may be saying something like, well, I'm, I'm worried that we're going to lose money on this deal. So that the first feeling is worry. And secondly, it, but I'm excited about being the first in this market. So you have conflicting emotions. You're not just trying to go out and rah-rah your team. Hey, this is going to be great. This is going to be great. And we'll provide a link in our show notes. It, it can be helpful to just know what are different types of feelings because, well, I'll just say it, we're two guys sitting here and we may not, we tend to, guys tend to not be too in touch with their feelings or even know what all the different feelings are. And so just having a list of feelings can be helpful. I'm just reminded of, there was a, remember the old TV show Home Improvement with Tim Allen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and there was this one episode where he portrays a, guy, a character that has a home improvement TV show with it. It's called Tool Time. And he, his wife, he has some issue with his wife and he comes out of that experience realizing he needs to be more in touch with his feelings as a guy. So the next time he's hosting the show, a talk show, he gets a, a guest to come down from the audience and the guy sits down and they're talking and Tim says, so tell me, how are you feeling right now? And the guy thinks a minute and he says, I'm feeling hungry. <laughs> so hungry is, is not actually a feeling, and horny is not a, fe- no, a feeling so yeah, either. Yeah, don't get on the wrong track there, guys. <laughs> but, but actual feelings from the heart, uh, you don't have to get too wishy-washy or touchy-feely, but just actually expressing that there's two sides to the coin. And one of the, I I thought a great phrase from the lead researcher at the University of Michigan was the the natural variability in life. That there's a natural variability in life that increases the chances that people will not be solidly positive or negative. So just recognizing that, giving voice to that is important. What's number three, Dad? Encourage team members to share their feelings, uh, not just their rational thoughts. Yeah. So now I, I would be, if you like grab my hand here and say, you know, just tell me how you're really feeling. Well, I'm going to get <laughs> wigged out by yeah, that. I think that's going to happen. So you, you don't really need to do that. You don't need to really try to coax that out of people. But it's, first of all, leading by example. That's the most important thing. And we've already talked about that in steps one and two. But also give people the space to to do that. Don't be so quick to push people to stay in a logical, in a rational, logical mode. And don't be so quick to push the conversation forward. I mean, just so, you know, Dad, what do you think about that? Yeah, what are you some, feeling right give now? Give some time for people's thoughts to gel a little bit. And, you know, it, it kind of uh, lets your team know that you've got the emotional maturity to, to, uh, Respect feelings because you you know if someone's feeling very uneasy about something, uh, afraid of it, or one of those kinds of feelings. I mean, you want to give that some time and 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 question. You know, why why is it that that seems to be fearful type thing? And what what should we be afraid of it? And if so, how do we deal with the fear? Is fear like a is that like a, a knockout? kind of thing where if, we, if we're afraid of it, we can't do it or does that mean we could need to just manage it or we manage the risk and but it, it i think it gives your employees some confidence that you're willing to go down to the feeling level and and deal with it 
And I think asking some questions to draw that conversation out, sometimes asking why, or on episode 54 of Engaging Leader, when we interviewed Karen Hurt, she suggested a great question to ask is, well, what does your heart say about that? And I also suggested, well, or or another way to say that is, what's your gut? What does your instinct say if they're not a person that really wants to talk about the heart? So that's number three. Number four is take care not to squash their feelings. I mean, you've gotten this far to try to let people air things out. And yet, if you're a leader, a lot of us are are moving so darn fast because that's tends to be our makeup as leaders. We're forward pushing and we've got a, a high speed setting. And that can often make us really just come across as lord of the logic and discount the emotions that are expressed. And you're just like quick to say, yeah, but, or no, that's not going to happen. And so you got to really take care not to squash their feelings. So, you know, adjectives like stupid and ridiculous probably are not good (laughs) reactions to somebody's feelings. Yeah. And you and I, as we were jogging this morning, we talked about how sometimes we just need to take a little bit of time and start in learning mode as opposed to assuming mode. And that really comes out to feelings and right and wrong and so forth. And we're just, we're just sometimes so quick to just assume that we know what's going on. And if we can keep ourselves to stay in learning mode, find out what's been happening here. What are you guys thinking? What are the circumstances? And uh, not be so quick to jump in with our own logic. And then number five is demonstrate a healthy attitude toward mistakes. And we've talked about this in the past on this show. But the, one of the worst things to do is to always be looking for someone to blame for a mistake. And instead, if we can recognize that occasional mistakes are just a part of doing the business and we're not always going to get it right. In fact, a lot of times we're experimenting and, and experimenting involves trial and error. Yeah, I've, I've been having a little bit of fun this past week because we, in, in our process, we've uh, been, had been making a few mistakes. And so I've been just teasing people that, well, okay, on this particular uh, account here, if we have any shortfalls or things of that nature, I am going to take one of your fingers. <laughs> so it's, it's a little bit of a fun thing in a way because if they're a mistake, people would say, please don't take my finger. But you know, this is what happened. You know? So I want to distinguish here between mistakes as far as this, that are decisions and then quality errors. Because we are in a the, the world today, when it comes to product quality and service quality, our customers have a very low threshold of tolerance for that. And so we do always need to be making sure our service and quality is as close to error-free as possible, 99% accurate or, or better. But we're talking about decisions here and also performance in terms of trying new skills and so forth. And if a leader can keep in mind that that many mistakes end up not significantly affecting the outcome negatively. So not you know, mistakes aren't always fatal. Most mistakes aren't fatal. Well, that's a, you're making a really great distinction because the problem with if if something goes wrong and, and you address an employee about it, what you don't want to get is a defensive attitude, and and because blame starts to creep in. Okay, at least they feel blamed. Okay, so they they tend to make excuses and try to shirk accountability and all the things that just really make the problem worse. But if you're focused on, on reducing errors and say, okay, 
We we ran short by three out of five hundred. You know, that's as good as that sounds. That's not good. We we have we have to have zero out of five hundred. Okay, so it's not your mistake. It's just that our process broke down. Let's work on that. You know, and so they, you avoid the defensive attitude. That's right. So we've been talking about flexible thinking and how there's new research about how great leaders inspire better decisions. And if you engage your team in the way that we've been talking about, you're going to demonstrate flexible thinking and you're going to inspire this critical skill in your team. And as a result, that's going to unleash wiser judgment, aggressive creativity, and powerful results. So Dave, will you just uh, recap those five Okay, we said, recognize your own ambivalent feelings, number one. Number two, give voice to those ambivalencies. Number three, encourage team members to share their feelings, not just their rational thoughts. Number four is, take care not to squash their feelings. And finally, demonstrate a healthy attitude towards mistakes. Now, before we wrap up, we do have a question from the community. Uh, Gina asks, when expressing ambivalence, can the conflicting feelings be about a different topic? For example, I am upset about last month's sales, but I'm excited about this month's product launch. Do you have any a guess on that before I reveal the answer? Um, nothing is coming to quickly <laughs> to mind. So you understand the, the point of the question. Yeah. So uh, the answer from, from research, according to, to Burnham Rosen, is no, it has to be on the same topic. Okay, yeah. Because... It, because I was, I didn't feel any ambivalence there. I thought, well, yeah, <laughs> I get that. You're excited about a good thing, and uh, you know, upset about a bad thing. Right. There's no expression of the natural complexity of life there. So it's you have to be expressing emotional ambivalence about a single topic. Just think about JJ going off to school. Where I was sad to see him go but I was happy to see him go. It's the same thing, and I'm ambivalent about that one thing. I'm of two minds about or that one thing. quote, it was the best of times, and it was the worst of times. <laughs> come, come, Mr. Dickens. Was it the best of times or the worst of times? It can hardly be both. <laughs> All right, leaders, that wraps up this episode of Engaging Leader. You can find the show notes at engagingleader.com forward slash 62, as in episode 62. And while you're on the show notes page, please provide your thoughts or questions in the comment section, or uh, I would just want to mention if you have a, a question or comment like Gina did that about either this current episode or a past episode or any topic related to uh, leadership communication in general, we, we'd really love to include you in the conversation. You can send in an email to jesse at engagingleader.com or interact with me on Twitter where I'm at Jesse Leahy or on Facebook or LinkedIn, or you can leave an audio message, and I definitely encourage you to do that. And there's two ways you can do that. You can either call that in at 989-787-0060, or you can go to engagingleader.com, and over on the right-hand side, you'll see a big red button that says record voicemail. Engaging Leader is a production of Aspendale Communications a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, J.J. Leahy, our video and web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Christopher Seal, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, 
Whether you realize it or not, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of our opportunities to engage the people we care about. 